Uh, might be familiar with this psalm. It's a very popular psalm, a very heavy story attached to it. Uh, so to put it in proper context for us, uh, I'd, I'd like you all to turn with me uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. So just put a spot in, uh, you know, something to hold your spot in your Bible. 2 Samuel 11. As I'm telling you, 2 Samuel 11, like three times, I'm turning to 1 Samuel 11. So uh, 1 Samuel 11, and we're not going to read that actual chapter in 11. But a summary of 2 Samuel chapter 11 is, uh, this is the chapter that describes David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba who is one of his most loyal men's wives. Uh, Uriah is, uh, is named as one of David's 30 mighty men. He's out in battle where he should be, and he's fighting for David. And uh, he's fighting uh, that, uh, that David may find victory as king. And as he's gone, his, his king has an adulterous affair uh, with his wife. And to cover it up, David thinks, you know what, I'll pull Uriah from the battlefield and I'll bring him back here and I'll ask him for a report. And he's got this plan figured out because what had happened is when he, uh, so he found Bathsheba, he was out on, uh, out on his you know overhead thing and he finds Bathsheba bathing and uh, he likes her so much that he has her brought to him and he has this affair and then he finds out Bathsheba is pregnant. So now he's in quite a quite a scenario, and uh, he's got to cover it up because he's uh, he has sinned and he is in uh, a lot of trouble. And uh, so he he calls Uriah back, and he has Uriah give him an account of what's happening, and uh, gets him kind of uh, you know happy being there. And there's uh, alcohol involved and as he's dealing with Uriah, because it takes a few times before it leads to the, you know, Uriah's demise. But so he tries to get Uriah to go back home and uh, to stay a night with his wife. Hey, go back and to the comfort of your wife's arms and, you know, hoping that they would be together uh, in a sexual way. And uh, they, um, uh, Uriah won't go home. <laughs> so uh, the report comes like, hey, Uriah didn't go home. So David's like, all right, that didn't work. I'll bring Uriah back, and I'll, I'll just give him some alcohol, and, and maybe he'll go home again, and he wouldn't. Um, and uh, so David it's just, just says, all right, now I've got to do what i got to do. i got to cover this up fully. So he has Uriah carry his own death warrant uh, to the front of the battlefield. And the, the order was for Uriah to, to uh, be put to the front of the battlefield push up against the wall and everybody back away and leave Uriah there by himself, uh, which was a death sentence. It killed, it was, he was murdering Uriah uh, through his military uh, rank uh, as king. So he did, and, uh, and he takes his wife, and uh, now you know, that's covered up. He thinks he's gotten away with it. So if you'd look with me at chapter 12, verse 1, says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, Nathan the prophet. And he came to him and said, 
There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and it drank from his own cup and lay uh, in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one uh, for the wayfaring man uh, who had uh, come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. So David, in his pride, hears this story and is all fired up. He's like, that guy's going down. His life's over. We're taking him out. And uh, think about it. This, this lamb was like a part of their family. Now, I don't know how close you guys are to your pets, but sometimes we get so close to them that they become like one of our children, right? They become one of the family. That was this one. It grew up. It played with the kids. It would lay down in his lap. You know, they, not that they had TV, but as they're sitting around talking. This was their family pet. And, and Nathan is explaining how precious this thing would have been to those people. And then to see the story change, that the rich man wasn't willing to take from his own robust flock. He's so sinful that he goes and he takes from the poor man. And he, uh, he uses that one and prepared it. For the man that had come. So David's greatly aroused. and Because any of us would get mad over that, right? You know, you need you need something. Hey, I'm going to go take uh, from the poor man that, that lives over here. And uh, so David is, is all fired up. As the Lord, look at his words. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. Careful, David. <laughs> right? Look at verse 6. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Nathan looks right at him. That was you, David. You know, David thought he was in the clear. Everybody's gone. Anybody who knew is, is gone. And David thought, okay, maybe we can get away with it. I think deep down David knew he wasn't going to personally. I think he knew he wasn't going to get away with it, but he was hoping he would, you know, his conscience. When you hear that David was a man where God said he was a man after God's own heart, it wasn't going to take long before he just came to a point of brokenness, you know, and the Lord so faithful as he does chastises him and corrects him for what happened here. And he says, you know, he sends Nathan to present this sad story uh, to David and, and to pull on his heartstrings. You know, we, we can't hide from God. And, uh, you know, David is all fired up. And Nathan says, uh, you know, to David, you are the man. And I bet David just melted. He just melted. And, David, and Nathan goes on to tell him, you know, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, speaking for the Lord. And he says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. 
And if that had been too little, I also have given you so given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house uh, because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity again uh, against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes. Absalom, just think of Absalom and uh, continuing in verse 11 and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this of this son for you did it uh, secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, look at his response. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the, chi uh, blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. What a story. You know, that's that's quite heavy. So when we're considering Psalm 51, if your Bible doesn't have um, some subtitles here, then there's a background. Mine says, a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So he had received this uh, this uh, message from Nathan and uh, and. He, uh, after being confronted, uh, was moved uh, in his soul to write and uh, write a confession uh, and to write to the Lord uh, a song. And uh, I mean, this is this is a heavy thing. So verse one says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender uh, of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So David doesn't go to the Lord and ask for justice or to, for him to be judged in righteousness. He says, have mercy upon me. That, that's, that's asking God. He knows he's wrong. And he goes to the Lord and, and asks for mercy. Because he can't go in his own righteousness and say, oh Lord, please, please hear my cry. He has to go and ask God for mercy. Mercy is, is not getting what we do deserve, right? Grace is, is getting what we don't deserve, God's love, God's favor. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Where you cry out for mercy, don't punish me, Lord. Uh, and that's what how David starts this. Have mercy. Please don't punish me, O oh God, according to your loving kindness. You know, that, that according to the multitudes of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. That he is going to God. God, based on your loving kindness, uh, your tender mercies, God, I ask you to please blot out my transgressions. I have sinned. This is confession. That's what's happening here. He's not hiding anything. He's flat out laying his sin before the Lord and saying, God, I need your mercy. And I need your loving kindness. I need you to blot out my sins. You know, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, from all unrighteousness. 
That's what he's asking for. He's confessing his sins. And God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is the one that can do that. You know, if we try on our own to make up for our sin, we're always going to fail. We're always going to be at a, po a point where uh, we are uh, striving, wondering if we did enough. But when we cry out to the Lord and say, God, I, I mean, guys, this is a massive, massive sin. I mean, this is adultery and murder and deceit and everything all wrapped up. Abuse of power. I mean, you can put so many things. This is a grave sin. This is awful what he did. And he, he goes to the Lord and he's confessing his sin. He's saying, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, from my sinfulness, and cleanse me uh, from my sin. Cleansing knew that he had a filthy soul and he needed it to be cleansed, and he went to the right one. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. You know, when you consider this, now uh, we've, we've talked about this before, but Luke 18, um, verses 9 through 14, Jesus tells a story of two men that go up to pray. And there's the Pharisee, there's the religious leader, and then there's the tax collector. Tax collectors known as sinners. They both go up to pray. And, uh, you know, there's one that can't even look up to God. There's one that, that can't even lift his eyes. And his prayer is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then you have the other one that says, God, I thank you so much that I'm not like this guy. I tithe and I do all these things and I stand in my own righteousness. Going to the Lord in our own righteousness is something we, it's not possible. If we're going to stand in front of the Lord with our own righteousness, it's instant, instant casting out. If we're going to try to stand in front of God based on our own righteousness, we're already guilty. And there's no way for us to stand. If there was, then Jesus died in vain. There's absolutely nothing we can do to be able to stand in front of the Lord in our own righteousness. We can't do it. We, we have no ability to do so. So when we go before the throne of grace, we go in the name of Christ because of the blood that was spilled to cover our sins. So, you know, when he says, I acknowledge my transgressions, just like the tax collector that Jesus spoke of, lifting, lifting his voice, crying out. And he's just, he's like, he just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus explains there was one of them that went down justified, implying that the one that couldn't even lift his eyes, the one that Jesus said, uh, he who exalts himself uh, will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted, exalted by God, lifted up. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up, right? We come humbly before the Lord. You know, and that's David here. He says he's acknowledging his transgression. The verse, the end of verse three says, and my sin is always before me. Oh, guys, isn't it so much of a blessing that we don't have to live like that anymore? Anybody who's walking uh, in the grace of God, that our sin is no longer just before us. Our sin is gone. Where the scripture says our sins are as far as the east is from the west. I love that song. If you don't have the song by Casting Crowns, go get it. Go get it. Listen to it. That's a great song. That our sins are polar opposite from, you know what I mean? There's, there's no way to catch up with us. 
right? If you keep going all the way west, you're not going to come around. You're just going to keep going in that direction. And if your sin is going east, you know, it's gonna. It's not like you're going to catch back up. It, it's like a let's act like you know. Don't don't get too physics on me, okay? But you guys get it, right? The east is from the west. They're far away. That sin has has been washed away. It's gone. You know, and what David says here is, my sin is always before me. Against Now look at verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That's pretty tough to look at. But we have to kind of unpeel the layers here. Because what is happening here is, David did definitely sin against Uriah. He sinned with and against Bathsheba. He sinned against his nation. Sinned against his own body. 1 Corinthians 6 says that sexual sins actually sin against our own body. Sinned against himself. Most importantly, he sinned against the Lord. And what, he, what David is saying here is he ref, as he reflects on it all, who he's ultimately accountable to is God. That God, God is the one that he's accountable to. It's, it's, uh, David, that's why David is saying that. You and you only. You are the one that I'm accountable to. You, that eternally he needs to go to the Lord and ask forgiveness. You know, that, that's, it's quite a statement uh, that he says here. You and you only have I sinned, and I've done this evil in your sight. There isn't, you guys notice David isn't trying to justify what happened? He's not sitting there trying to say, well, there she was, naked there, and I'm a guy. What am I going to do, Lord? And, you know, it just got overwhelmed by the temptation and this and that. No, David owned his sin. He owned it. You know, when Nathan went to him, you know, that could have cost Nathan his life. You know, a wicked king could have just taken him out. David, although he was very flawed, was a godly man, loved the Lord, you know, man after God's own heart, right? And, and, and to know that David could look at his life and look at what he did and confess it and confess his need for God to, uh, to, to wash him clean, to blot out his sin. You know, to own what we've done rather than trying to pass the blame, right? Pass the buck and say, well, I sinned because this person, that person. No, 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 no. We have a choice, right? And we are not tempted beyond what we can bear, right? Way of escape. God is faithful to give us a way of escape. That's the name of our addiction, uh, addiction Bible study here. The way of escape. God is faithful to provide a way of escape that we would be able to get out of whatever we're faced with in temptation. That, that explains to us that we can't give in to that temptation. If we do, own it. Own it. Lord, I gave in to that temptation. I sinned. I need you to forgive me. And God is faithful to forgive us. He will. But if we start trying to make, you know, make up stories and, and trying to explain ourselves, God knows the core of our hearts. You know, we're not going to, you know, we talked about uh, the last two weeks. We touched on a little bit uh, this Sunday morning with uh, Ananias and Sapphira trying to hide their, their, just sin secretly. No, God knows exactly what's going on in our hearts. Guys, if we, have you ever, have you ever, have you ever watched a little kid do something wrong and then go confront them and they're like, didn't do it, <laughs> right? Right? You know, no, that wasn't me. I didn't do it. And you literally watched him do it, right? I say a little kid. You could do this with a grown-up too, but we're going to keep it in that context. But I watched it, and we know, and we say, you sure you didn't do it? No, I didn't do it. I did not do that. You know, you've got video of them doing it, right? And it's, it's, it's in our nature to deny, to pass the buck. Man, 
Let's not do that. Let's just say to the Lord, I have sinned. Second half of verse 4. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You know, when you consider what he's saying here, you know, that, that, uh, that the Lord may be found and blameless when you judge. You know, God is a perfect judge. We can't blame God for judging us. You know, we don't want God's judgment. And when we stand in Christ, we don't have to fear God's judgment. But as the perfect judge, sin had to be paid for, right? You know, consider if we were the ones that were wronged, right? If we're the ones that are wronged, then and somebody just like negates it, says, no, you're good. You know, you're good, right? You know, no, you know, like I stole my car and crashed it or whatever. Well, he didn't mean to do it. You know, I'm going to be gracious to him. God is perfect in grace and perfect in judgment. He's perfect in both. They, when you consider um, Jesus Christ, it says that he was full of grace and full of truth. We have to have the perfect balance of both of them. Full of grace, the, the willingness to forgive us when we don't deserve, but also the perfect judge. Full of grace and truth. You have Those two have to go together because if it's just truth, we have no hope. If it's just grace, then there's no justice, right? Those two had to be reconciled. They're reconciled in Christ. That's, you know, when we consider Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. You know, that's probably not the t-shirt you want to give to your mom, right? Or, you know, walking, hey, mom, look at that, right? He's just saying that his mom was a sinner. You know, he's, he's not saying his mom was out running around. That You know, Jesse, his, his dad, you know, was wrong in sin. What he's saying is, is that he was, he was born to a, 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 sin, a woman who was naturally born a sinner. Verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. That's what God is all about. Right there. Look at verse, verse 6. You remember when uh, Samuel was sent uh, to Jesse's house to get David and to anoint him as king. He didn't know which son he was there to get. He just knew it was supposed to be one of them. And all of Samuel's, uh, excuse me, all of Jesse's sons got brought before David and it was none of them. And Samuel's like, what's going on here? What's the difference? Oh, well, we got David out in the field. We talked about this recently as a church, right? Finally, they bring David in. And, but, but God had told him, don't look at, you know, at what's on the outside. Man looks what's on the outside. God looks at what's on the inside, right? David was chosen because of what was in his heart. Not because he was perfect, but because the, the heart that God saw in him was, was why he chose him. Where it says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. That the innermost part of our lives would be integrity. That's what God wants, is pure hearts. Now, that only comes from us yielding to the Holy Spirit and obeying the word. And God continuously just... Uh, sanctifying us. That's when God is washing away. He's taking out the sinfulness out of our lives. The more that we're practicing dying to ourselves daily and, and the, the Holy Spirit continuously being poured upon uh, and into us, uh, poured into us, that's that's where we, we I love how Lori Cass called it, that we're leaky. We need to be filled constantly. 
And when, when we consider if we're not just, just abiding in Christ, as, as John 15 says, that we abide in Christ, as we abide in Christ, that's where we stand in our strength. You know, we're in, and that's as we're abiding, then, then the Spirit works in our hearts, works in our lives, purges out the sinfulness, purges out our, uh, our uh, natural uh, whatever it is that we're dealing with, our natural flaws that we deal with. It might be anger. It might be whatever. Uh, none of them are coming to mind when I'm trying to think of more than anger, right? But, you know, just it, use anger as one. You know, it just, God will just start, you know, Lord, I'm sorry, I lost my cool on this again. And the Lord would just take it away. And eventually, as we yield to the Spirit, like as we were praying earlier, right? And as, as we were talking about, that we must decrease and He must increase. That's how the change happens. As we submit our will to the Father and the Father's will, thy will be done, right? That's in the model prayer, Jesus said, that, that we would pray to the Lord, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As God's will is done in our lives, in our hearts, then we start looking at, at what this is talking about. You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. That heart, that, that our hearts just seeking the Lord and knowing the Lord, that, that depth of relationship with him. Guys, this world... And in, even in the Christian church today, you know, it should not be that Christians are just surface Christians. What's going to happen, right? We talked about this this morning also. We have to be built upon the rock, prepared for life's storms spiritually, right? Storms are going to come. They're going to come. And when they come, you know, are we going to stand? Are we standing on a, on a firm foundation in Christ? Or did we say a prayer and then we're just living casually, you know, as as a, as a Christian and not really submitting our lives, not getting into the word, not practicing our faith, not loving our neighbor, not seeking the Lord, loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, loving our neighbors ourselves. If we've just said a prayer and we're walking along and skipping along, you know, and, and, and as a shallow Christian, man, when the floods come, goodbye. And we're going we're gonna to find ourselves shipwrecked in our faith, just driven right up into the sand. And that's a, that's a problem. Our innermost parts need to be connected to the Lord. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I, I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. You know, that desire, hyssop is a herb in the mint family and, and it was used for cleansing and uh, medicinal needs. Uh, you know, here it's, but more than that, he's talking, he's not talking about, Hey, he needs to go get some hyssop and, you know, take a bath. What he's saying is, is I need to be healed. I need to be cleansed as I would be washed with hyssop. Please wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be whiter as than whiter than snow. Right. As Isaiah said, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. That's our God. God knows that our sins are filthy. He knows that they're wrong. And he's so ready to bring that forgiveness, that grace. Now, I realize this is a Sunday night Bible study and we're, we're, we're diving in. And I'm not saying that anybody who's not here isn't diving in and growing in their faith. But this is this is this is great for us all to be here. 
again on, on a Sunday. Now, I, I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to make us look like super saints. Everybody else is, is inferior. That's not it at all. But it speaks of a depth that we're, that we're, we're uh, seeking with him. So it's, uh, uh, as, uh, anything I'm saying here may sound like it's a spiritual pat on the back. I don't mean it to say that. But what, what I know here is that I, I know the faces here. I know the people here and the desire for, for depth in our spiritual walk. As we're, we're desiring that, God is going to give that to us. To be washed whiter than snow. And then it says, make me hear, my, hear joy and gladness. As we're washed, joy and gladness, right? Joy, joy of the Lord and gladness of heart that the bones you have broken may rejoice. You know, you're, we're already clean. Jesus said in uh, John 15, 3, you are already clean uh, because of the word which I have spoken to you. You know, that, that's quite powerful that he said that to the disciples, that you are already clean because of the word. You know, that we want to be washed. We want to be cleansed. Dive into the word, and the word is going to lead us to repentance. And it's going to uh, help us. It's going to, to wash those things away. As we see that and we just see that the word of God active, where, where Hebrews tells us the word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and then it discerns the, the, the thoughts and intents of our heart, right? And it talks about it being as though it's, it's the best way. It says um, that it decides, between, that it divides between um, bone and marrow. I mean, that, think of how thin and how exact that is. That's how active and how powerful the word is, that it can pierce into everything into our souls. There's nothing that the word can't affect. Wash me whiter than snow. It's funny that you think of something that would stain blood would wash us. You know, but it's the blood of the perfect lamb, the one that came to die for us. Without that blood covering us, we stand filthy in front of the Lord. But as we're washed in his blood, we stand whiter than snow. That's uh, It's quite a powerful thing to consider. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. That's, uh, that's a prayer there. He's not just saying, let's act like my sin doesn't. He's, he's not saying hide your, he's, what he's asking for is just blot out my iniquities. Oh Lord, I know you see my sins. I'm asking, Lord, that you don't, you know, judge me according to it. He's, he's asking, blot out my iniquities. These iniquities exist in my life, and they need to be blotted out. I need your grace. I need your mercy, Lord. Crying out to the Lord. You know, as though the Lord didn't see it. Oh, look at this. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. To pray that, you have to know that your heart is filthy, Right? This is the opposite. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Wow. You guys know that song? Create in me. I'm not going to sing it because it's hard to do and I don't have the guitar to hide behind. Okay. So, <laughs> but that song, and renew a right spirit within me, right? <laughs> Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's powerful. That's meaty, right? Uh, you guys have heard me say this before, but man, I, I can I can take so much of today's Christian radio before I hit the power button. It's so bubblegum. It's so cotton candy. It's it just popcorn, right? There's so much of it there. 
There's no depth to it. It's, it's you know, me, my, I, focused. It created me a clean heart. Me? That's me. If you want to look at that filthy heart, and I need a new spirit within me. Please don't cast me away and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That's a song I can sing all day. That's a song of depth. Speaking to the filth in his own heart. David's not going to the Lord petitioning here, and I know I've said this, but he's not going saying, it wasn't that bad. You know, God, you know, it was a weak moment and everything. He's saying, no, it was absolutely unacceptable. I am wretched and I need it. Not, I just, I need to be washed clean. I need to be washed like someone would use hyssop. I need to be whiter than snow. Matter of fact, Lord, I need a new heart. I need to be changed. I need my, uh, a new spirit. You know, please don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit. That is, that's just like, that's the same heart as that tax collector Jesus spoke of. Just be merciful to me, a sinner. That's that same, same, uh, just humility in heart. And that went, that's why Jesus said that, that he who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That humility, when we go to the Lord in humility and broke of, of, of a con of a broken and contrite heart, that's precious in the sight of the Lord that we would go to him in our brokenness and just confess our brokenness, right? We can convince anybody else that our sin isn't as bad as it seemed to be, right? We can convince ourselves of that and that, that we, that we, you know, I'm really not that bad of a guy. I mean, look at that guy over there. You know, I'm really not as, I'm right here. I mean, he's way over here. She's right there. This person's right here. Then you got me and, you know, a couple other people, right? We like to do that. I don't know about you guys. It might just be me. But, uh, you know, my, my flesh just wants to say, well, I'm not as bad. Oh, wait a minute. That's just like the Pharisee, <laughs> right? We get convicted. If we're, that means we're exalting ourselves and we're, we're, we're stomping on the face of somebody else. As their face is in the mud, just like that religious leader did, we're doing the same. Instead, if we just say, I'm, I knew better, right? Especially to the Christian, I knew better and I still did it. David knew better and he still did it. You know, for us to look at somebody who didn't necessarily, yes, you know, we all we all have a conscience, but if they didn't know the word of God, that it spoke against whatever they were and they just go, I didn't realize my sin was this bad or whatever. You know, that's somebody that we go to and say, I didn't either. And I'm a sinner just like you. And I'm changed and saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And then we can watch them as God's lifting them up, their face out of the mud, and he's exalting them and pulling and standing them up. You know, versus standing in, in our own pride. Oh, God is so good. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. That is a prayer uh, for restoration. Restore the joy of your salvation. You know, David wasn't all that joyful at that point, right? He knew that he was caught, uh, that he, he was likened to the man that, that David wanted to kill. So no doubt David's sitting there going, I would have just killed myself. I would have had somebody, I would have to order somebody to come and kill me and to, to restore what I had done. Well, I can't restore anything to Uriah because he's dead. So David is saying, I can't, and he's saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit that we would go on God's grace and ask for his joy. God, I, I he, you know, 
after something like that, I don't think David was skipping around the castle, you know, in joy, right? Because if you read further on in 12, he's so brokenhearted because he knows the child that he had in, in the womb of Bathsheba was going to die. And then he spends so much time crying. That is, he, he writes a psalm about just swimming in his tears. That he's cried all day on his bed and on his couch. And he gets to that point of absolute brokenness. And he's, he's at, a, at a period of fasting and everything. And when he finds out the child had died, he cleans himself up and he goes to eat. And everybody's confused. And he said, look, I don't, I, 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 he's already gone. Someday I can't, I, I, he can't come to me anymore, but someday I will go to him. And he washed himself up and he ate. And he knew that the Lord was going to restore him. He didn't deserve it, just like we don't deserve it. We can't look at David's sin and go, well, I never, oh, really? If you ever wish somebody died, guess what? <laughs> then you've committed that in your heart, right? Jesus said that. You know, sometimes I think we want things to be taken out of the scripture so we don't stand guilty on so many things, right? We're like, I, I really wish he didn't say that. You know, if I lust, lust after a woman in our heart, then I've already committed adultery with her. Ugh. You know, just some of those things that are written in there, right? That if we hate our brother, We've already murdered him. You know, those are some powerful things to write, uh, to, to read. And, you know, things that are going to remind us of our sinfulness. And, oh, restore to me the joy of your salvation. When we accepted the Lord and we're now walking in him, that joy can't be taken away. Our life circumstances might go crazy, but the joy of, of knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior never goes away. Joy that we can always fall. Yes, I know that this world and this is going wrong. That's going wrong. This is all crumbling. But I know I have salvation in Christ. That is the joy that we can stand on. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Oh, the Lord is so generous to us. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted to you. That's, that's key right there. After we've been saved, we are called to preach. We, we should be leading others in his ways and sinners shall be converted to you. David's not saying, he's not saying, hey, I'm going to do all these things and then I'm going to gain favor in your eyes. He's saying as a result of your joy in my life being restored and you upholding me in your generous spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways. I'm going to tell other people about your redemptive ways, your grace, your mercy, because then they can experience the joy of their own salvation, right? Oh, God is so good to us, guys. He's so good. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. David was actually saying, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. He is a man that murdered another man. You know, David stood guilty on all of these accounts, and he knew it. And he's saying here, deliver me from the guilt of my bloodshed. Another time, just pouring his heart out, owning his sin. You know, guys, uh, especially men, you know, for us to be upfront about our failures, as we're called in the scripture to be the leaders of our families, for us to take that on of ourselves and own our sin and say, guys, I'm sorry. You know, I can look at one of my daughters or look at my wife and go, I'm sorry. 
You know, what they're seeing is me acknowledge, owning, I'm sorry that I, whatever, I shouldn't have done that. It was sinful, wrong, and I apologize. Would you please forgive me? And then we move on. Wives, if your husband approaches you in that way, forgive him. <laughs> right? We're not, we forgive, right? We can't retain things. We can't hold forgiveness in when we've experienced it, right? That's what the scripture says that, hey, if you want grace, you, if you want that grace, you have to give grace also, right? We, we have to. It should be that as we experience grace, we should be dispensing grace, right? We have to be gracious with one another. Where are we? Where did I? Uh, are we still in verse 14? Some, somewhere around there. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. Uh, the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. That David says, I want to sing of your righteousness. You know, of God's righteousness is what he's saying here. Because, and, and that's powerful because David approached God asking for mercy. And they wouldn't be judged based on God's righteousness. And what he's saying is God is holy and I'm going to sing of God's holiness. And no doubt that song is going to contain grace and mercy that David had experienced because he knew that he needed God to forgive him. And God in his graciousness and uh, and in his uh, mercy uh, had forgiven him. And God, the righteous one, uh, was the one that could forgive him. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Look at that. That's what God wants. You know, he doesn't desire. Look at that. Open my, look at verse 15 when he starts this. Open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. And then he goes on after saying that, he ties that to verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. God would rather uh, obey. Remember what Samuel said to King Saul? To obey is better than sacrifice, right? That's what God really wants. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Parents, if your child comes to you with a broken heart over their sin, that's not when we start yelling and beating on them, right? Hopefully you're not beating on your kid. I should refrain, rephrase that. But that's not, oh, you did what? You say, oh, my goodness. You know what? I've done the same thing. And God washed me. God cleansed me. You know, that broken and contrite heart. Oh, you know, that, that is a precious thing in God's sight, right? It's a precious thing in God's sight. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Go to the Lord in our brokenness. That's what David is like, right? That's where he is in his life. He's in complete state of brokenness. You know, he, he's just had his heart. He knows he's wrong. And here comes Nathan the prophet. And he knows that God knows and that God is addressing it. And embarrassed. Think of the embarrassment that, he, that a prophet had to be sent to him to confront him. And when that prophet gives him that so, such a sad story, it cuts him to the heart. And then it even pierces deeper when he realizes he was the guy that did it, right? If you're not broken at that point, the brokenness, oh, that is precious to God. These 
oh God, you will not despise. Guys, when, you know, when we hear somebody that we're talking to that we know their life is in complete shambles and we're sharing with them and they're saying, God doesn't want me. I'm damaged goods. No, you're exactly who God wants. You know how broken you are. You know the wretchedness. You know the mire and muck that you're stuck in. Go to Christ. He's going to grab you. He's going to pull you from that and set your feet upon the rock. And he's going to wash you whiter than snow. And your life is going to be restored. Oh, guys, the gospel that we carry is so precious to this lost and broken world. Not only to them, but to us too. Right? Because we can be the hardest on ourselves. Go to God with a broken heart and he's, and just confess, own our sin, and God is going to restore. God's not going to despise it. Just like if a child comes up to us. You imagine, imagine like a, a grandson, a cousin's kid, or, or, or our own child. They come up to you. I, I've had this. i, I got to back up and i got to not get emotional just thinking of, of, of this. I, I had a little child walk up and confess something that they did against me that I had no idea. Just bawling their eyes out, bawling their eyes out, and I'm just, I just grabbed a hold of them and gave them a hug, and I said, "You know what? I've done things wrong too, or I don't exactly know what I said, but man, and just to say, you know, God loves you, and He forgive, I forgive you, God forgives you. You know, it's good that you that 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 hurts your heart, and you know, just being able, guys, it was it was such a powerful thing, such a powerful thing." And that parent that brought that child forward and said, hey, and, and just think of how scared they were to come and to talk to me about it, right? And I just I just want to I just want to look at them and go, and I did. You know, when I saw I didn't sit there and wait, let them cry for a little bit and a little bit more. No, that brokenness, right? God's not gonna do that to us, right? God doesn't do that to us. He, you know, as soon as we come to him, we see that brokenness of heart, he's a good father, right? Oh, when we turn to him and he just is like, he just ready to scoop us up. I know, I know, I know. And he, that, that hug, right? Oh, oh, that's powerful stuff, guys. Where are we? Uh, verse 18, he will not despise us. Verse uh, 18 says, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteous, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, that they shall burn. Uh, they shall offer bulls on your altar. So that it seems like a complete shift there. But do good in your good pleasure. You know, he, he's still saying, in your good pleasure, Lord, please bless us. Asking for blessing. And as uh, what David is saying here as he's writing this, and as you, you bless us, we're going to lift offerings to you. And uh, we know that that is going to bless you. You know, that, that we will continue on in our, our, our offerings to you. And, and that you would restore us and that you would build and that you would, you would help us. I think we're going to stop there tonight. We have 20 minutes left, but um, let's, uh, as we sometimes do, let's, uh, let's, we'll end up shutting this off here in just a moment. We'll share, and if we don't have any, then that's all right. We're done a few minutes early, and we fellowship for a little bit, or, you know, longer. But uh, I, I feel like if I get into 52 right now, I'm going to be rushed, and uh, it's quite a heavy thing uh, to look at. And uh, when we're considering Doeg the Edomite, uh, a wicked, wicked man, 
uh, and uh, we'll pick that up next week. Why don't we just just think about God's grace? <laughs> think about it. We'll end on God's grace, his mercy, his justice, uh, his love for us. And, uh, and we're going to end there because I feel like that's um, – I'm going to get talking too much and then I'll take too long. Um, and uh, let's let's pray, Father. Uh, we're grateful for your word, and we ask God that as we uh, take some time here to uh, share praises and prayer requests, we pray that you would be with us and, and bless us. But we thank you for what we can read in this: a man that had committed grave sin and went to you with a broken and contrite heart, and Lord, that you did not despise him and turn him away but God, that you restored him because of your grace and your mercy. Lord, if there are any of us at that point, Lord, help us just to know that you do love us. If we know people that are dealing with this, that we can turn them to Psalm 51 and share with them that we're not too far away. We still have a heartbeat. And that your grace is still sufficient. And that you stand ready to restore and forgive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.